highlights that I had in Mexico, one of my personal favorites was getting to meet face-to-face and spend time with Jesus himself. And not the Jesus. Um, if you want to go to the next, yeah, so here we go. Not the Jesus, uh, but this Jesus is his name. He's between Chris and Dennis. This is the guy that Don was talking about who was sharing about the the unreached peoples of central Mexico, how there's not a lot of gospel presence there. There's a lot of uh, big, ornate Catholic churches, which I should have included a picture of, but I didn't. But it's kind of seeing those big buildings, very impressive, magnificent, kind of like Europe, not, not on the same grand scale, but similar. It reminded me of Jesus talking about, you know, on the outside, your cup is nice, it's clean, it's beautiful. But on the inside, you're bankrupt and corrupt, and it's vile and filthy. And that that was kind of reflective of that area. There's some churches, buildings, but inwardly, there was just coldness and emptiness. People didn't have a living, a vibrant relationship with Jesus himself. But this man, though, his name is Jesus. He's not a carpenter, but he is a plumber. So he's, he's in that vein. But you think that with a guy with that kind of name, you'd think that he he was a good guy, great guy, had a great life, but it's in fact the opposite. Growing up in Mexico, he his father was distant. His father was aloof. He and when he was present, you know, physically speaking, he was addicted to alcohol. So he grew up uh, in a very rough household. And in the meantime, those of you who personally have experienced this or know family member or friend a similar situation, you know that especially as a young child, you struggle to find that sense of belonging, that sense of love, of community, of connection, and it was the exact same case with Jesus. He did not find that love and support, especially from a godly father. So at age 11, he became more and more rebellious against his family. The, the confusion, the brokenness inside of him just kept exuding itself through hostility and rebellion to his family. But when he was 15, or sorry, when he was 13 years old, as he was seeking purpose, fulfillment, and and connection, he joined a gang when he was just 13 years old. He He himself and others were taking drugs, they were dealing drugs, and committing robberies to fund their entire thing. And it was like the cartel, but on a more local level. By 15 years old, Jesus was a leader in the gang, which meant he had done some pretty horrible stuff to become that high ranking. Brother Donald Kamese, who's uh, right beside Don on the right side, he was talking with um, Jesus once, just hearing his testimony, getting to know him. And he asked Jesus, you know, have you ever killed someone before? And he said, I don't know. Because he's run over people, several people with his car and vehicles, but he never stayed around to see what happened after the fact. So Jesus was steeped in the drug world and all that that entails. And in the drug world, though you may make a lot of money, you also make a lot of enemies. Because there's a lot of fighting and wars going on over turf. This is my area, my money, my people, you get out of here or we want to expand, and so on and so forth. So at 17 years old, the gang that he was in was ambushed, 
the violence got worse and worse, just brawling and fighting. And eventually, Jesus was stabbed in the stomach, and he was stabbed in the back several times. His fellow gang members, the people he would think would support him, they ran away and abandoned him, left him for dead, because they wanted to save and preserve their own life. So, fast forward a little bit, Jesus was able to make it to a hospital. He was told there that he wouldn't be able to walk again by the doctors. So during his stay there, uh, a Christian chaplain was in the hospital, met Jesus, and shared with him the true gospel of the true Jesus. The chaplain shared with him that no matter how dark his past had been, and no matter how bad his previous life had been, Jesus would forgive him. Because Jesus himself, because he was abandoned, because he was bruised, because he was stabbed in his side, because Jesus was left for dead, because he actually died, because Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself, now human beings, even wicked human beings, which are all of us, we can experience love, forgiveness, restoration, and healing, all because of who Jesus is and what he has done. He had heard from the chaplain, you are called, Jesus, this is a, a spare moment. God is being gracious to you. You are called in this moment while you're still alive to surrender your life to Jesus. Repent, trust in him, confess him as Lord, repent of your sin, and follow him. Little by little, the true Jesus will begin to make your life better. He will piece your life, your broken life together, and make you into that beautiful portrait on which he was created you to originally be. So Jesus, Jesus heard this gospel. You'd think there was that dramatic conversion story right then and there, but no. After rehab for some time, Jesus was able to walk, but he went back out on the streets. As a, a pig returns to its wallowing in the mud, so Jesus found himself in another fight in the streets. Because when he got out, he didn't have love, forgiveness, and, and hope. No, he wanted revenge. Revenge on his enemies that stabbed him, put him in the hospital, but also vengeance upon his fellow gang members who abandoned him. So he was just infuriating with rage, went out, found himself in another fight. This time the police came, broke up the fight, arrested him. He spent some time in jail. Again, just to summarize, fast forward a little bit. He got out of jail. He was on a bus traveling back home. And it was on that ride on the bus that he felt as though God was saying to him, this is your last chance. And when he felt that, which can only be described as the Holy Spirit doing a work inside somebody, Jesus surrendered his life to Jesus and was born again. And instead of anger and vengeance, <laughs> coffee to me, uh, instead of anger and vengeance, uh, Jesus felt love and forgiveness to others, to the people who had wronged him. And he himself was adopted into the family of God by faith. And one thing, one comment he said was, you know, before I was willing to give my life for my gang members, but now, because he's still in the same area, he, he, he's still serving these people who are still infested and, and drawn into these lifestyles. He could go somewhere that's safer, a little better, a little more prosperous, but no, he wants to stay there and reach out to these people whom he had lived with for so long. 
And he said, though formerly I was willing to give my life for my gang members, now I'm willing to give my life for Jesus, that they might come to know him as Lord and Savior. Ever since then, uh, this happened about eight, nine years ago. Uh, Jesus is currently, I, I believe he's 27 or 28, though if you look at him, he looks like he's 35 or 40. That's just indicative of the type of lifestyle that he was in and how that has caused him to age very fast, physically speaking. But ever since then, since those eight years ago, he's been on the discipleship journey, longing to grow more in Christ, know who Jesus is. About a year after his conversion, he met Brother Donald in a northern part of Mexico. Brother Donald discipled him, encouraged him. Uh, Together, they, they felt as though he were called to pastoral ministry, and he's been serving as a pastor, not just as of an immediate congregation, but raising up now and equipping more and more pastors, spreading the work of the gospel. So, dear church, this is the God we serve. This is not about Jesus. It's not about me or our trip. It's about the God we serve and the redemption that he gives to the broken, to the wicked, to the destitute, to the hurting. And church, I want to remind you, this is a um, not, not a full sermon, but I did want to remind you just of some gospel reminders. You can go to that, the next slide if you want. Before we ever go on a mission trip, remember that Jesus first came into the world on mission to save us. Before we ever go share the gospel with other people, remember that Jesus first and foremostly achieved the gospel and made the gospel possible. So we now go on trips, we now support, we now spread the word because it all begins with who Jesus is and what he's done. This entire trip is built upon Jesus Christ and the lives of those we've met is built upon Jesus Christ. One thing, as especially this past year, I've tried to do from the pulpit, from meetings, I want to lead us as a church to be more missions-minded, to have a bigger heart for the nations, a bigger heart for our local community and for the nations, right? It's both and. Preach the gospel in Jerusalem, in Crozet, but also around the world. And if you and I are going to do that well, we need to be anchored in the gospel of Jesus. And I want to briefly, again, this is brief, you can time me if you want. I want to remind you of three R's of the gospel just to encourage you and reinforce us in the truth of what it is that we were actually motivated by, what it is we were talking about with others. That is the gospel of Jesus. Three R's for you. Number one, the realm of the gospel. Number two, the results of the gospel. And then lastly, our responsibility with the gospel. So firstly, the realm of the gospel. In other words, who is this gospel for? Who is this gospel message for? Who is it available to? Pretty simple answer. Does anybody want to take a stab at it? Everybody. There it is. The gospel message is available to all people. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 tells us the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God is available to all people, whether you're rich or you're poor, like Zacchaeus or Bartimaeus, whether you're slave or you're free, like Onesimus or Philemon, whether you're a religious person or you're a rebel, like Paul or Rahab, whether you're a man or a woman, 
like Peter or Phoebe, whether you're young or old, like Samuel or Simeon, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, like the shepherds in the field or the wise men who travel from afar. The gospel message is for every single human being. If you are breathing, the gospel message is for you. And it's not just in terms of race and ethnicity and geopolitical boundaries. The gospel is for everybody, regardless of your sin background. I think one of the great passages in Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. It tells us, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody is equally condemned before God. But the key here is in verse 11. This I say this with to you today. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. See, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what sinful background you may have had. The gospel is available to all people. Number two, the results of the gospel. What happens when this gospel touches a person? What's the result of it? But you have to understand, again, what is the gospel? We spent the Christmas season kind of picking that apart. But what is the gospel? It's not an entertaining story to just tickle your ear and make you feel a little better about yourself. The gospel is not a set of propositional truths, you know, A, B, C, and if you believe these things, it's not a thing for us to intellectually analyze, but rather the gospel is foremostly a transformative relationship to be experienced. Let me say that again. The gospel foremostly is a transformative relationship to be experienced. When you hear this gospel, I'm not talking about with just your ears, because a lot of people in Jesus' day heard the message, but they didn't truly hear the message, right? You see Jesus, but you don't truly see him. So when when I say when you hear the word of God, when you hear the gospel, I'm talking about in your heart, you receive this truth. When that happens, you will be transformed. You'll have a new identity, a new purpose, new desires. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 puts it well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. This is another thing to be reminded of, that our trip reminded us of, tangibly speaking. When the gospel touches you, It's not just a one-on-one individual thing, right? Me and Jesus are now buddies. Me and God are good. That is true. But if you read scripture, it's quite clear. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to other people. When you become a Christian, when you respond to the gospel, you are adopted into the family of God. Like it or not, you've got a whole lot of brothers and sisters now. And yes, there are crazy uncles in the family of God as well, right? And you're called to love each and every one of us, each and every one of them. So the, the being touched by the gospel, right? New desires, a new identity, you're a new person. That's the result of the gospel. And then lastly, 
what is our responsibility with this message? Again, it's quite simple. Two passages. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. In 2 Timothy, when I was teaching and preaching through it, and uh, both on the Sunday morning, but also during the weekend. Second uh, Timothy, if you didn't know, if you weren't familiar with it, that is what many consider to be Paul's last words in his right, earthly life. This is my last charge. This is what's most important to me personally, but also to you, Timothy. I'm not just talking about some, you know, take out the trash and feed the fish and this kind of stuff. I'm telling you what's most important in life to continue this, the work of gospel ministry. Listen to what I'm saying. That's what Second Timothy is all about. Similarly with Jesus, right, when he, his earthly life, his last words deserve our utmost attention to study them, to hear them, to practice them. What were Jesus' last words? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, record some of them. You might be familiar with this. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is technically speaking the, the true last words of Jesus. Because this is what he said right before he went back into heaven and ascended back through the clouds. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you, you, my followers, my people, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So we can feel good about ourselves? Not necessarily. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the concentric circles. Start in Jerusalem, expand the reach until you eventually preach the gospel around the world. What is our responsibility, church? Right, this is what I'm ending with. What is our responsibility with the gospel? Proclaim it. Spread it like wildfire. And there's, as I've heard one pastor say before, there's three options for you and I in, in light of these texts. Only three options. We can either go ourselves, and some of us have, some of us do. Right? We're supporting a few missionaries, and Lord willing, more and more, who do, literally, right? sell their car, sell their house, and go overseas. So you, you can either go, or you can support, whether it be through prayer, or financially, or ideally both. So you go, you support, or you disobey. Those are the only three options you have as a Christian. I ask you, what are you doing? Are you actively obeying Christ's last words to spread the gospel, to go and preach and proclaim? Not everybody's called to be a pastor or a teacher. That's okay. Not everybody's called to move overseas. That's okay. Some of us are. But are you supporting? Are you praying? Are you giving financially? Why God has blessed this country. And if you're here today, he's blessed you much more immensely. Right? I can guarantee you, everybody in here, is making more money than the brothers and sisters we're spending time with. I don't care what your salary is. I, I can pretty much 95% say that, right? Are you giving to support those who are in need? 
those who could use the money, those who are engaged actively in gospel ministry, are you supporting them? I hope and pray that you will. So dear church, um, two last things. One, I hope you know, this is just one of many in the future. Uh, This is not an exclusive trip, right? This was kind of a short minute, last minute trip. I didn't didn't have a whole year to plan this. But what I want to tell you is I want you to come with me, okay? This is open. There will be more opportunities in the near future to go on missions trips. I believe not just me, but you as a church, we as a church are called to spread the gospel collectively. So if you want to go with me, want to go with a team from Hillsboro, maybe some other churches, you know, partner together, let me know. I'll put you on a shorthand list, and I'll reach out to you when more details become more and more clear. I want you to come with me, all right? And then secondly, uh, pray for Brother Donald. Uh, Lord willing, I'm figuring out details with him, but Lord willing, he's actually going to come visit us the first Sunday in March. So I'm very, very excited about that. And he's going to come here. He's going to he's going to share. Uh, probably, I assume he'll have some pictures. He's going to share uh, just what he's doing. And he's also going to preach the word because he's an excellent preacher. Uh, and so I'm excited for that. But pray for him. Pray for his family. He, his wife is from the UK. Uh, so it's a kind of interesting blend of uh, you know family dynamics. He's from Uganda. She's from the UK. They live in Mexico. So it's, it's just kind of kind of fun. Pray for him that he'll be faithful to his wife. Uh, He'll disciple his kids well. I pray that he'll have fervency in preaching and in all of his uh, relationships with believers and non-believers. Pray that he'll have love for them. That the love of Christ will be what drives everything he does. And then in conclusion, one thing I'd like to do, we started this two weeks ago. You can go to the next slide, or last one. But... um, what we adhere to and what we confess as a church, the Baptist faith and message, there's actually a, a section there on evangelism and missions, which I think collectively it's nice for us to be reminded together about what it is that we believe, what, what is important to us, and what we strive to practice as Christians and more specifically as members and as people of Hillsboro Baptist Church. So uh, if you will, um, repeat with me. Hopefully you can read this, but... Um, We'll we'll go through this together. So it is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. The new birth of man's spirit by God's Holy Spirit means the birth of love for others. Missionary effort on the part of all rests thus upon a spiritual necessity of the regenerate life and is expressly and repeatedly commanded in the teachings of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has commanded the preaching of the gospel to all nations. It is the duty of every child of God to seek constantly to win the lost to Christ by verbal witness undergirded by a Christian lifestyle and by other methods in harmony with the gospel of Christ. Father, now as we go, please be with us. Help us to live the Christian life. Help us to delight in the gospel and help us as your people to share the gospel with those around us. We need your Holy Spirit. Please come now into our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.